Hey everyone, welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real life rescues to you firsthand from those involved. My name's Grant, and I'm going to be talking with Taryn Rooney today from Oklahoma City Fire, and she's going to talk about a grab they had in December of 2021. So welcome, Taryn. How are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing? Good. Um, Tell us a little bit about you uh, and your fire service career. All right, so uh, I started with the Oklahoma City Fire Department on March 6th of 2020. So I uh, just have a little bit over two years on right now. Um, I have zero previous fire experience or EMS experience. So this was uh, a big career change for me. Um, And I actually found out, uh, it was kind of one of those things, I didn't know what I didn't know. Uh, I found the fire service through CrossFit. Uh, through crossfitting with uh, a lot of both the men and women on the job. Um, And I was pretty good friends with a couple of the women on our department prior to getting on to. Nice. What, uh, what kind of training did you guys get prior to this incident? Because you had a relatively short amount of time on the job. And I think some people sometimes wait and think that they can, they can accumulate their training throughout their career. Uh, but pretty early in on your career, you had the had the uh, uh, the the Super Bowl, if you would. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we go through a 16 week academy. Um, Lieutenant Justin Lorenzen was actually one of my field training officers, who I know has been on here and you've spoken with before. Um, so 16 week academy. Um, it is a lot. Of, we do a ton of drill ground evolutions. Uh, Then once we get out to the field, we do three rotations at three different stations uh, during our probationary year. Uh, So we're able to see different parts of the department, different size stations, uh, the different demographics that we serve in Oklahoma City. And uh, within those, we have to, we do certain training requirements at every single rotation. And then we also do training just as a crew. So since I've gotten my year on, you know, we almost always have recruits as well. So we're re going through just those core fundamental skills on a regular basis. And that's not just something where we're just standing around, like, let's just watch the recruit do it. We actually partake in it as well. Uh, our department also has been doing uh, what they're calling career development, where they go down and they go down to the drill, gr- drill grounds on a quarterly basis and train on evolutions with other companies, uh, other companies also outside their district. Uh, so you get to like see different work with different people. Um, and you know, just go through those training, training scenarios as well. Cool. Uh, tell me a little bit about search culture. I know you guys got good search culture in Oklahoma city. Uh, cause we have talked with, with Justin quite a bit, but tell us specifically about, what your role is compared to what your officer's role is on the rig if you guys get assigned search? So we, we you know, as a firefighter uh, in search, I would be like what they refer to as like, you know, like the rabbit. So it's, you know, I'm actually the one that is performing um, the search. The officer will dictate, is it, you know, a left hand, a right hand? Is this, you know, 
what kind of route they want us to take or what room they want us to enter. Um, but it's our responsibility to completely clear that room um, as the firefighter. And they, you know, the officers got the tick, the thermal imager, so they're able to kind of like scan the, the room, the area that way as well. Um, but we're the, and they kind of are the guides for us. What do you rely on your officer for as a firefighter personally when you're doing a search? So for me personally, it's kind of like that initial direction of just like, this is, this is where we're going in. Um, and then I know that they're there. So for me, it's more of just having that initial direction um, and then the confidence of knowing that they're within they're, they're within shouting distance of me. Um, so if I do run into an obstacle, uh, they're there as a resource, you know, a support system, whatever it might be. They're the, they're the communication system. So they're also, they're the ones that are going to be communicating back to command, you know, because I'm focused on performing the search, you know, clearing the room, um, and communicating to my officer if I find anything. Very cool. Uh, well, let's go back to December 4th, 2021, and tell us about this call. So the call came, the fire alarm came in at uh, right around 1130 in the morning. Um, it was the 3200 Southwest 48th Street, which is less than a mile and a half from our station. So uh, uh, super, super short distance from the station. Um, I actually have the audio, so I went back through and listened. I've listened to the audio several times, you know, sent it out to people to use for training purposes. Went back through and actually listened to the audio, too. So, you know, I have that breakdown and, you know, can talk through what that looks like. Yeah, um, when you guys arrived on scene, um, just so people have a good painted picture of what you arrived to, what did you guys arrive to? What kind of building, what were conditions, or anything like that? Yeah, so the call came in, and at about the 20-second mark, dispatch actually confirmed that the calling part, they were still on the line with the calling party, um, and they reported that there was still a puppy inside. So command responded back, you know, confirmed dog still in, inside the home. Um, Engine 25 arrived on scene at the 50-second mark, so within a minute of that call coming in, our engine was, you know, on scene, and that lieutenant who was riding out for the day gave the initial report of heavy fire and you know making entry on the alpha side standby for a 360 uh, but within about 10 or 15 seconds our chief which is 605 uh, that was actually our station our station officer uh, major sandoval was riding out that day so our chief was off um, he arrived on scene about the minute five mark and reported heavy fire on the A, D, and B side. Uh, this is a one-story house. It's a little bit over 800 square feet, which is very typical for our district. Um, you could tell from the outside of the house, you know, not in great condition. Um, you know, fence, fence sides, you know, you could, you could tell from the outside that this was most likely like a hoarder house, junk, a lot of junk um, in the front, the back, the sides. Um, in about the minute 20 mark, engine 21, um, was arriving on scene and they were assigned, uh, water supply. So to bring in water to engine 25, who had already made entry into the house, uh, using tank water. 
Uh, I was on rescue ladder 25 on the back of the ladder that day uh, with uh, Corporal Burrell driving and Captain Bo Woodard uh, riding out. We got on scene at the minute 35 mark. Um, there are two different routes that you can take to get to this house from our station. So it is typical for us to, as a ladder, to take a, a different route in. So we're not blocking or interfering with the engine and the water supply and that we can still get close access. Uh, so we had taken a different route than the engine had, um, but still, you know, especially being in a ladder, obviously we were there about 45 seconds after them. Uh, when we first arrived on scene, we were actually assigned search, but that was quickly changed to ventilation. Our, um, our department does vertical ventilation. So I got out of the, the back of the ladder and went and grabbed a 16-foot roof ladder, uh, which is typical for us to use since we're, they're such small houses. You know, it's faster, lighter, quicker, um, instead of using the 24 extension ladder. And uh, had thrown the ladder up to the alpha side of the home. And Captain Woodard had brought the chainsaws over. So we were actually masking up and getting ready to climb onto the roof. Um, so while this was happening at about the minute 55 mark, the fire attack reported that they had water on the fire, but that they had heard someone was still inside. And this is where, you know, those, you know, all these people on scene, like not, not Oklahoma city fire. I'm talking about like the occupants, the neighbors, stuff like that have conflicting reports. So, uh, the two minute mark command reports, you know, I'm talking to one of the residents, they're stating that everybody's out. Um, about 10 seconds later, the chief's driver, the DAA, uh, reports, Hey, there's a second resident that just approached us and said, there is someone still inside. Um, and that rescue ladder 25 is making entry. So when that other occupant had approached us in the front yard, it was myself and captain Woodard and the DA all standing there. So captain Woodard and I dropped everything we were doing. Um, and we went to go around to the resident said, it's, he's in the back of the house. You have to make entry through the back of the house. You can't go through the front to get to them. And we went to go towards the Delta side of the house. And he's like, you can't go that way either. It's all blocked off with the gates locked, you know, build up of trash, whatnot. Uh, so we went around to the Bravo side. And at first, Captain Witter was like, hey, go grab a set of irons. And then he paused, he looked at me and he was like, screw it, let's go. Like, there's no time. And we had to actually mask up on that uh, Alpha Bravo side of the house because there was such heavy fire, heavy fire and smoke still coming from the Bravo side of the house. And the fence was on fire at this point too. Um, so we had to mask up just to get for, uh, just to get through the smoke to get to the back of the house. Um, at this point in time, two additional engines arrived on scene, engine eight and engine 19. They were level one. And at the 240 mark, uh, that's when Captain Woodard reported that we had made entry into the structure. So what that looked like is um, we made our way to the back of the house. There were two different doors that you could go into. One led into the kitchen where the fire had been. Um, it was now knocked down in that part of the house. And the other one was just another door. Um, 
leading to whatever. And Captain Woodard made the decision to entry, enter that door. Um, I did ask him about that later on. And he said he made that decision because he, he looked and he said, well, there's already been heavy fire in this door. There's already crews that have been through here. Like there's, are, there's people inside there right now, you know, fire crews in their side there right now. Like, let's go in this other door. Like we don't like search where somebody hasn't been yet. Um, so like I said, it was like the 240 mark that he reports we were inside when we made entry in, um, to that part of the house, it was smoky, couldn't see anything. Um, there was no fire in that room, but it was, it was hot. Um, you know, when we made, when we went back in there, the walls were all crocodiled, um, from the heat from the other part of the house. And when we first made entry, I was like, I said to him, I said, are we in a shed right now? Because, you know, I could feel kind of like the wood shelves and it was, you know, just like two by four floors. Um, but as we made our way a couple feet in, I felt a sheet hanging across the room, which to me indicates, you know, a bedroom divider. You know, in, in our district, it's very common to see, especially in garages, kind of like those weird add-ons that people are converting into living spaces using them as bedroom dividers. So I had pushed that sheet aside. Um, so I was, Captain Water was behind me. It was a pretty narrow room, um, like longer in depth, but fairly narrow. So he was behind me. I was making a left-handed search. Um, and I, my leg bumped into a, kind of like what would be like bed cot level height. So, you know, initially thinking I was like, well, this, you know, search the top of it, you know, search underneath. And when I went to search sweep across the top of it, my hand landed directly on the chest of the gentleman that was inside. Um, and that was at the 250 mark. So from like, we, from the time we made entry, the initial entry to the time that I put my hand on him and Captain Woodard reported that we found a victim, it was like 15 seconds. Um, and so I put my hand on him. Um, I, I called, hollered back to Captain Woodard, who was just a couple feet behind me at this time. I said, hey, I got him. And Captain Woodard said, you know, can you get him? And I said, yeah, I got him. Um, I you know, I knew that he was unconscious. Um, and I, so I took my arms, I put him up under his armpits and kind of hugged him as close as I could to me and just started walking backwards. So fortunately it was a straight shot back out the same entryway we came. Um, and we were, as far as we knew, there were, there were no windows, you know, there, there were no other doors. So it was just go back out the way that we came in, which was fortunately a straight shot back. Um, just for reference to, you know, obviously like I'm a female, I'm about five, six, 135 pounds. So I'm not big. Um, he, this, the gentleman's early forties, he was probably about 170, 75 pounds or so. Um, so, but anyway, I scooped him up, pulled him as close as I could. He did end up like sliding a little, but I was able to lock my arms around his forearms and just and drag him just straight up drag him um and captain woodard guided me back and by the time we got him to the threshold of the door uh our 
ladder driver was there. So he helped me finish kind of like getting him across the threshold of the door. And engine 19 had been assigned EMS. As soon as we had reported that there was a victim found, we were bringing him out on the Charlie side. So engine 19 came around with the EMS equipment. Um, and we drug him a, a, for a little bit away from the building, but there was still a lot of, a ton of smoke back there, which was, would interfere with, you know, any type of care we were giving. And there was, I mean, there was, the fence was like still on fire at this point. They were working on getting that put out too. Um, so like four or five of us ended up just picking him up and carrying him to the front of the yard to uh, give medical care up there. Uh, as soon as we got into the front yard, what was actually was really cool though, was EMSA had, was already on scene and they had their cot on the sidewalk at the end of the driveway ready to go. So we threw him right onto the ambulance cot and the 603 chief's driver was already coming up with the Sino kit that we carry on our chief's cars. And as we were like, I just remember like buckling him in and as we're buckling him in, there were the two EMSA medics, um, the chief's driver medic and engine 19's medic they were already starting to get an IV set so they could get this Sino kit administered. Um, and by the time like we had him like strapped in, um, they had that IV like started um, in order to get that administered. It was, you could tell that he was seizing. Um, so again, not conscious, but he was um, still alive. So he was, he was seizing at this point um, and they got, you know, got that Sino kit done. As soon as we got him on the cot and strapped in though, uh, Captain Wooder was like, we got to go finish this primary search. So, and so we made our way into the alpha side of the house at this point and did uh, a primary search. And um, at this point the fire was out. Uh, so we were able to complete a, a primary, a thorough primary search in the structure. Um, and we had that done. We went in at like the four minute mark and we did, we did it. We spent about a, a minute finishing the search because about the five minute mark, we reported back that we had negative results for the primary search. Um, in between that search time, uh, engine 19 did report that the victim was loaded into the ambulance. So from the time the victim was, found to load it in the ambulance was under two minutes and um they came back at the seven minute mark the 605 chief's driver reported at like the seven minute mark that at the ambulance was leaving emergent with two firefighters um so by the seven minute mark you know they had gotten obviously they'd performed more care in the back of the ambulance and they were leaving the scene within seven minutes of the call coming in with the victim in the ambulance. And by the time they got to the hospital, um, which is probably maybe like 10 minutes away, um, they reported that he was alert and talking by the time they got to the hospital. Dang. Good things in Oklahoma city. Shoot. You couldn't have like planned that any more perfect with your timing, with the cyano kit, with EMS being right there. Um, a couple of questions I had. 
with yeah. the was the house subdivided up into like different different units or what was that I, I it was just a, a weird add-on it was an add-on that had no entrance the only entrance and exit was that door we went in which was an outside door there was no entrance and exit to the main house um and i don't even think there were windows it was almost more like honestly like a storage unit that was attached to the house that they converted into a living space which is not surprising for our district it's a you know our district is it's we're the busy one of the busiest stations in the entire city um third busiest engine busiest ladder if you combine the calls that our engine ladder and chief does we are the busiest station in the city um it's you know we just have a, a lot of you know those small matchbox houses they're older um you know there's a lot of hoarding there's a lot of drug use um this actual this house we ended up finding out they were bootlegging power from the neighbors which is where the the how the fire potentially could have started um i think that was even still under investigation of like what the cause was because there were so many different factors of what it could have been um i mean there was like many people living there that were not family either so um for us it's just like it's it's not surprising um but it also goes to show you know when when getting a signed search to not just assume that you can make access to every room or every living space from the front door because we have such bizarre add-ons that that happen second stories back you know additions in the back whatnot yeah crazy do you guys will you guys is it typical when you find something like that that command might assign more than one search crew um being that there may be more than one entrance or not not so much uh no it's we usually we do one primary search so um and that's and it's the, the, it could be the first in if the lat that's where it's kind of like with the ladder you could be assigned search if you're the first on scene ladder you could be assigned ventilation it just depends on like who what other companies were assigned to that to that incident um you know our first in ladder a lot of time is assigned vent because we do vertical ventilation so aggressively um and you know it might be another engine crew or that second if we get a second ladder that they're assigned search initially and with this case too it was just those conflicting reports from the residents of hey like i'm standing next to you and telling you everybody's out to you know somebody else now coming in and being like no there's still someone who is asleep inside yeah that's a good point we can't buy back that time i mean i, I believe this guy survived just because of your quickness and anything like a vacant house or people telling us otherwise only slows us down and is never doing anything good for the victim. So, uh, that, that's awesome. Uh, talk to us a little bit about you, you mentioned, um, your, your smaller woman, not small in strength clearly, but, uh, about dragging this victim, how you found him. He was face up on the bed. Yeah, he was lying. He was lying face up, face up supine. So he was, he was just lying flat on the bed. He'd have been asleep like when he woke up he was like he was like what happened um and i did i forgot to mention too uh he did suffer some minor burns on his forearm so it was hot enough in there for his skin to start burning um but because 
of how fast everything happened and how quickly we got the Sino kit. He had, uh, I know what his, one of his family members stopped by the station a couple weeks later and uh, he had no deficits. So nice. Uh, you talked a little bit like he was slippery, but you got him in kind of an arm lock and were able to overcome that pretty easily. Yeah, I had him, um, I scooped him up underneath his armpits at first and try to like, you know, hold him as close to me as I could. Um, and you know, he, he did sl slide a bit. He didn't have a shirt on. He had, uh, he did have jeans on. Um, he started sliding down me a bit. So I ended up just kind of like grabbing him by the forearms and, um, locking my forearms up against his and just straight dragging him back. Um, you know, as in, and to get him out of there as quickly as possible. Nice. And the distance was about 15 feet from the exit. That you had yeah, I would say it's, yeah, it was probably about that. Nice. So fortunately he was not, it was not super deep in, um, and the way that this room was set up and it was, I mean, it was, like I said, it was longer, but narrow. It was straight in, straight out. Um, there was a lot of stuff, a lot of clutter along the sides though. Very cool. Let me, let me ask you and feel free if you don't want to discuss this at all. What would you tell other females in the fire service? You got into it because you were already yeah. CrossFit chick, right? Yeah. But what would you tell a new girl coming on the, on the job? I have girls. I don't know. They probably don't ever want to be firefighters. But what would you tell the girls that are coming on? <laughs> it's one of those things like, you know, it's obviously like, I, you know, there's not many females. We have, you know, almost a thousand employees um, that's over... 900 uniformed firefighters and there's only about 30 of us on our department that are female like nationally i think the, the percentage is four percent um we actually you know we've been working on getting our numbers up there's actually four females in this academy right now that uh will come out to the field in july which is i think the most that it is the most they've ever had in one academy at a time at a time so i'm definitely like one that's you know like pro like i'd love to see the number of females on this job continue to grow um i think it would just you just like in my own personal case it's one of those things where it's like you don't know what you don't know it's like this is not advertised or promoted for to women as a career option you know like i wouldn't have known about this without knowing other females on the job and without knowing men on the job that supported females on the job that encouraged me to be like hey yeah like this is a great career like you you should do this uh with that being said um it's not for everybody you know and you have to be physically elite like i i tell every single girl that comes to me i said first and foremost before you do anything are you physically and mentally prepared for what this job is going to take because there is no difference in our our uniforms in our gear in the the tools that we use this the tools that we carry um, you know, there is, we don't throw different ladders. We don't handle different hoses. We don't get to choose who we drag out of a building. You know, like we have to be able to perform this job, um, the exact same way, uh, you know, a 220 pound six, six, two man would. Um, now how we go about doing that technique is, might be a little different. And that's where like that mental side comes in of, just, you know, believing that you can do it, believing you deserve to be there, but also like having the grit 
um, to figure out how you're going to do it and how it works for you. So like my technique looks a little different for some things. And, you know, I had to, you know, figure out how to throw 28 foot extension ladders by myself, you know, took me a little bit longer than my counterparts in Academy at first. Um, but if you put the reps in and you figure out that technique and you put the work in, like I can confidently say that like I can do that with ease now and, you know, run circles around some dudes with saying that humbly, but you know, like I had to, I, I had to put the time in. Um, and so it's just one of those things where it's just, if, if you've got the drive and the want, um, it is a awesome, awesome career. It is the best job in the world. It is just so fulfilling in so many ways. And from my experience, um, as a female working with, with men too, is, you show up that like, Hey, I'm here to work and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to show prove to you that I can do this job. Like I don't get treated any different. I, I, I don't, you know, I don't get like any special treatment and you know, like I am, I'm part of the crew. I'm one of the guys, I am a firefighter. Uh, and that's, that's been my experience and I'm extremely grateful and fortunate to, to have a department that supports that, uh, mindset and also work along, work on crews that are just, so pro and welcoming with it too. Well, very cool. Uh, well, Turner, I appreciate you sharing the story. I mean, that's just awesome. Uh, we love hearing the wins and, uh, you know, just different things that pop up in each of the calls. Uh, time sticks out to me, the slipperiness and, uh, the bystanders are three things I take away out of this. Yeah. Um, but if you get a grab, or assist, alive or deceased, we want you to go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com, fill out that short survey. That information is for us, by us. If you want to share your story of the grabs, you can be uh, anonymous or share everything with us, uh, but we just want to get these stories out. Our goal is to hit one about every two weeks, and uh, for those of us that may not like to read, but we like to listen, this is a great way to learn from others. So until next time, thanks for listening.